Hi, and welcome to the Ethnos New Brunswick podcast. We're so glad you're joining us. Ethnos is a new organization looking to join in the holistic, community-transforming work happening in Highland Park in New Brunswick. A part of that includes thinking about the spiritual health and vitality of our community. Each week, our gathering is meant to give our community a safe and helpful place for that. Today's episode, The Quest, is the first in our series called Meaningless, Finding More in Life's Complexities, with the conversation being led by speaker Yukon Chu. This is the time now where we're about to enter into, uh, where we do every week, where we take a moment to reflect on the teachings and scriptures of Jesus. Now, uh, some of you are new to this journey. Some of you are new to Jesus. Uh, That's okay. We would love for you to join in this discussion as well. Bring your spiritual background, your philosophical background to the table. Uh, You don't have to be a quote-unquote believer to be a part of this. And so we're glad you're here, and we hope you can bring that to the table. But why, again, are we talking about this series or this topic? Why are we entering into this? Well, let me share two really quick reflections on how we put together series here at Ethnos, just so you know what's going on, okay? The first is this. We are doing this series because we really think it's important to know the scriptures of Jesus in its entirety. What do I mean by that? Well, if you look at the scriptures of Jesus, uh, there are probably seven to eight basic genres of scripture that are there. Things like poetry, things like narrative, things like letters, things like biographies, things like that. Okay, seven different genres. And so what I do as a pastor is over the span of two years, I look at our calendar and make sure, hey, over the span of two years, we touch on all seven, eight different types of genres, okay? So that's one of the reasons why we're about to enter into this series. The second reason is, of course, the topic at hand, this topic of finding meaning in the complexities of life is something that I think is not only always relevant to us, always relevant regardless of our age or stage in life, but I think it's uniquely relevant to us right now in this springtime. Uh, I don't know how many different conversations I've had in the last few months, but I've had a lot where many of us are asking some fundamental questions of how do I find meaning in this? How do I find meaning in a potential career change? How do I find meaning in a new neighborhood that I'm living in? How do I find meaning as my friendships are changing? How do I find meaning just being a teenager or being a 20-something or someone moving into my 40s or 50s or 60s? How do I find meaning? It's something we're always asking, but it's something unique, I think, that for whatever reason, this spring, we've been asking. And so my hope is that through this series... Not only will we get a full picture of, a fuller picture of who Jesus is and what his scriptures are like, but we'll get something really personal as well. Something personal that we can walk away with as we try to find meaning. Now, here's the deal, of course. In order for all of this to work, kind of like we've already been mentioning through the opening music and uh, the story as well, we'll need to be really honest with ourselves. We'll need to be really honest with how perhaps we've been trying to find meaning in certain things and it really hasn't worked out. Or we need to be honest with how we have approached God in trying to find meaning as well. Because sometimes God doesn't seem to work out as well. The crazy thing with this series and specifically with the scriptures we'll be looking at is this set of scriptures will actually help us be honest 
probably more honest than we're comfortable with. What do I mean? Well, we are going to embark in the next six weeks in the scriptures known as Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes was this fascinating part of scripture written about 2,500 years ago. And in this scripture, the main point of the story is that meaning is something very complex to be discovered. Meaning is actually something frustratingly hard to figure out, especially, especially if we try to do it without God. This uh, book in the scriptures of Jesus, I think, will encourage us, will challenge us, will leave us perhaps sometimes more frustrated, but also help us along the way. Let me share a couple of brief background kind of tidbits that we should know before we dive in to today's conversation, and then I'll share these big brief background you know, ideas, and then we'll jump in, and hopefully you'll get a little feel for what we're talking about and how this book can be so helpful and honest for us. Uh, if you take a look at your tables today, uh, you'll notice that we have a couple of different handouts. The first handout you have uh, says getting to know the scriptures, okay? Getting to know the scriptures. Oh, don't put the questions on yet. Uh, getting to know the scriptures. And this is basically a front and back a handout that gives you a little bit of background of this 2,500-year-old document called Ecclesiastes, okay? This is, these are, there, there's a lot of information that, you know, you'll want to take home and think about when you get home, but um, I want us to look at the, the first, the, the first kind of section, though, how to begin to understand this book. Because as we get to reading this book, uh, you will, again, be kind of surprised, perhaps, about how honest and shocking this book is. So, for example, let's pretend, uh, we're going to get to this point later on in our series where we're going to read the seventh chapter in this book. And in the seventh chapter of this book, the author is going to say something pretty crazy. He's going to basically say, you know what? The day I die is going to be way better than the day I was born. Okay? Now, some of us may feel that way. <laughs> like, some of us have had a hard life and we're ready to exit and we're ready to get out of here. But did because this is in this book in the scriptures, some of us may be wondering, wait a second, is this book kind of allowing us to think fatalistically? Is this book allowing us to maybe even contemplate how taking our lives might be a positive thing? Let's be honest, right? This, this book gets that honest about the feelings and frustrations with finding meaning in life. And so, it's important to note then, as you take a look at this intro section, that this book can be understood in at least one of two different ways. Number one, it could be understood as being the work of a hardcore cynic who actually shouldn't be listened to, but should be learned from as a negative model. Okay, So that's one interpretation we can have. Or this book can be understood as being written by someone who's just brutally honest about life, and yeah, we can listen to him, but, also, but with a grain of salt, okay? So these are the kind of details that we need to understand as we jump into this book, okay? The second thing we need to understand is that this book is going to be primarily written from the perspective of trying to find meaning without God. There's this phrase that will be used 29 times in this book, 
It's this phrase, under the sun. And the reason why the author uses this phrase, under the sun, 29 times, is he's trying to share with us that everything he's saying is from the perspective of not thinking about what's above the sun, meaning not thinking about what's, what God thinks about. This is life, from my point of view, the author is saying, under the sun, trying to find meaning, okay? We'll get to a little bit later today, well, how do we incorporate God into the pursuit of meaning? We'll talk about that, and he will talk about that as well. But it's important to note that this is how the author will be addressing us. I've said enough, let's get a feel for how he does this, okay? Let's get a feel for how he pursues meaning. And what we're going to do today is I'm going to just give this general introduction. We're going to read now this, this introductory opening chapter. And then uh, next, in the next few weeks, we'll get into the details of work and friendship and justice. How, how do we find meaning into those things, okay? So your second handout, let's take a look at your second handout then, is the introductory first chapter and a half. Let me read it. And as I read it, we're going to answer two basic questions at our tables. You can get these questions up on the screen right now. Uh, these are questions you'll want to think about even as we read. Uh, I'll read this out loud for us, and then we'll spend about five minutes processing these two basic questions. What are the characteristics of a meaningless life, according to the author? And will have you experienced a similar sort of meaninglessness in your own life? All right? So... Let's take a look. Let me read through this, and we'll get going here with today's conversation. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. Though the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, there's something new. It was here already, long ago, was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I, the teacher, was a king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has given mankind. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to understanding of wisdom and also in madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For which much wisdom comes much sorrow, the more knowledge, the more grief. I said to myself, come, now I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness, and what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing fully my mind, still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. 
I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves and were, that were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me, and all my, wis and all my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was a reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Why don't we take a few moments and process with our table partners this brutally frank introduction. Two questions. What are the characteristics of a meaningless life according to this author? And have you experienced a similar sort of meaninglessness? Five minutes. Let's talk it over. I think I, I hope you can see clearly how, you know, just how brutally honest or cynical this author is, right? I mean, just right away, you're like, wow, what a, what a way to start a book. Um, what strikes you? What are some of the characteristics you noted or that, that struck you as you engaged with this introduction? Who wants to share? Just kind of. What, what are you processing at your tables? What strikes you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like, uh. Um, <clears throat> so what we discussed was that the first section was basically talking about, you know, like natural course of things, natu the natural courses of things, you know, what God makes is eternal, it lasts very long, it lasts forever. Mm -hmm. And then um, what he created you know, basically uh, was temporary, it didn't last. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. So some of the things in the first section God creates is eternal, some of the things that we create as human beings is not. That's an observation. Okay, yeah, that's good, that's good. Other thoughts, other reactions to this introduction here? Oh, yeah, okay, we'll come over here and then over here, yeah. Um, so we talked about how we actually like or connect a lot with this book of the Bible. Um, and, but I think for the first time while reading it today, I noticed that the reason why, or I felt like the reason why it's meaningless, he never mentions other people. And so if he's thinking about the seasons changing and after he dies, the sun will still rise and set, it doesn't matter to him because he's dead. But we, like, we are physically reading his words that he had written from that time, which we, I would assume we all agree that King Solomon's life was meaningful. Um, so in not considering others or not considering God's bigger plan, yes, it's easy to think of your life as meaningless when you just think about yourself as an individual um, and forgetting the context that you're in, which you may not know. So it's like kind of my feeling is my life is meaningless, but I have no idea of what God's actually doing with my life. Yeah, that's good. That's good insight. Thank you. Thank you, Danielle. Yeah. Some people want to give that a clap. Yeah, hand. All right, all right, cool, cool, cool. Okay, yeah, yeah. I heard some amen, so I thought we should do something. Okay. 
Um, I think especially like dealing with like mental illness, like depression and anxiety, these are like this um, scripture are thoughts that like happen like very often, mm. um, especially in that cycle. It's, um, usually like, you know, you can recover from it, but when you get to like, you know, the really bottom of like, um, of just like not wanting like to be in this world anymore, like yeah. these are the exact thoughts that kind of go through the brain of someone like that. Well, for myself, I can speak for myself. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I think, like, you know, like, kind of, like, reading through this, it was a, a lot of, like, it was similar to, like, thoughts I've had before, and it was kind of, like, oh, man, like, I didn't, like, realize, like, thoughts like these would be in the Bible, in the right? Bible, yeah. um, but it was definitely interesting to see, and in, like, a sense, even though it's kind of, like, you know, cynical and stuff like that, I feel like it's kind of refreshing in the way of, like, if it's, like, if it's here, like, it means something, right? Yeah. If it's in the Bible, like, there's hope, like, there's a reason why this is here. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I think like, especially in those times when you don't really want to listen to the like, oh yeah, let's just give it to the Lord. Cause sometimes it's not that easy. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, this is like one of those things that you can kind of look to and be like, ah, okay, I can see like, you know, somebody who like felt kind of the similar in, in a similar way. So, yeah. 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 That's good. Thank you. Let's give it up for Jenny. Yeah. Thank you. Other thoughts? Kurt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, you talk about honesty. Uh, sometimes uh, in medicine, you wonder why you start treating the same things over and over again. Like uh, in terms of like the common diseases like heart disease or diabetes. Because um, sometimes like you don't know where the patient is coming from. Like you don't know like if they had that um, exposure to like different ways to reduce your chances of like um, coronary artery disease or blockages or uh, different things you can do to change your diet. Um, you always see it from the perspective of, like, if you're looking from the perspective of a physician, right, the physician walks in and then uh, you have the patient and you treat them based off what they, what they present. But when you see, like, the same presentation over and over again um, throughout different patients, um, we just talked about, like, how there's, like, an adage in public health, um, Jurassic School of Public Health, um, where there's, like, babies being drilled into the water, right? And then medical students jump in the water to save the kids. But then one medical student looks, like, walks down, like, the river. And the medical students in the water saving the children and start asking, where are you going? Hey, the medical student asks, I'm trying to figure out who keeps throwing the babies in the water. You know, so, like, you go through this, uh, the meaning I'm trying to find from, like, this is why different things repeat themselves. What we could do as, like, from our point of view, from the uh, clinic, clinical side, to reduce the recurrence of different types of health, um, uh, health disparities or different types of health uh, complications that we see, like, on a daily basis. Um, so that's where this relates. Like, Thank you, Brian. Let's give it up for Brian. Thank I, I love how we have our different perspectives. Yeah, and you from the field of medicine. Yeah, that's really interesting to put on those lenses and think about some of these cycles. Yeah. Anybody else? Maybe one last comment of just what you're seeing here in this, this, this honest introduction. Yeah. Anybody else? Okay. That's okay. Yeah. There's a lot to chew on, right? What, what, what strikes me as, as we look at this introduction is um, a couple things, right? First of all, um, Brian, you highlighted this really well. The, the, the first paragraph definitely talks about the cyclical nature of life and how uh, much of that 
can produce a strong sense of meaninglessness, right? Um, not only the cyclical nature, but also the empty nature of life. Uh, the, the word, by the way, meaningless, and this is in your like extra study handout thing, uh, the word meaningless uh, actually means empty. Other older translations in the, language, in, in the English language would use the word uh, vain or vanity, vanity of vanities. And that just creates, that, that, that connotes a sense of like, this is just empty. It's like, like air. It's like, you know, it's just, there's no substance. And so this is how the author is feeling. He's noting a number of characteristics. And then, of course, in the second half of the introduction, he kind of begins to describe his various pursuits, how he just pursues knowledge, pursues pleasure. And perhaps some of, like, like some of us here in this room, we've done those kind of pursuits in our life. We thought, well, for sure, a relationship will give me meaning, or for sure an education, or for sure a career, and things like that. And we get down that road, and, and years in, we're like, oh, there's still something missing, right? Now, this is, you know, this is a lengthy book, so we're going to definitely go through the ins and outs of this issue of meaninglessness. But I do want to begin to just share with us that the, the author will conclude that God is essential to finding meaning, okay? Now, of course, here at Ethnos, or coming to a gathering like this, you figure, like, of course, we'd say that as the answer, right? Yeah, yeah, we would. And we would expect Jesus and the Scriptures to say that as the answer, too. But I want to be careful as we say that God is the answer, and more specifically, Jesus is the answer. I want to be careful in saying that because I don't want us to think that Jesus or the scriptures say that God is the answer simply because it's the, the, a nice psychological crutch. Like, oh yeah, God is the answer because, you know, we just need this sort of help in our lives. No, the scriptures and Jesus will actually say that this is not just psychologically helpful, but it is logically and philosophically necessary. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, there's an author that I really appreciate. He's a Canadian pastor, and uh, he writes about an encounter he had with a philosophy student. The story's on the back side of your sheet. And um, I want to read this story to you because I remember when I first read this years ago, it just helped me think through this in a clearer way. And I think this might be a helpful story for us to process together, to think through how this is not just a psychological thing, it's a logical and philosophical necessity. This is uh, taken from one of his uh, things, one of his moments he was having as a pastor conducting a beautiful wedding, and uh, the story kind of picks up right after this beautiful wedding ceremony. Let me just read it. I think it has some value here this morning. In the midst of this, in the midst of this beautiful wedding, I got into a conversation with a young philosophy student, perhaps in his early 20s, tall and healthy and good-looking. He asked me if I really believed all that religious stuff I'd spouted back at the church. I said I did. He smirked. I asked him what he believed. I tried your religion for a while, he said, and I found it just a burden to carry. You know what I figured out? Life justifies living. Life is its own reward and explanation. I don't need some pie-in-the-sky mirage to keep me going. This life has enough pleasure and mystery and adventure in it not to need anything else to account for, account for it. Life justifies living. Good, I said. Very good. And I believe you. 
Today, here, now, feel the warmth of the breeze. Listen to the laughter of these people. Smell the spiciness of that shrimp cooking. Look at the blueness of the sky. Yes, today I believe you. What a superb philosophy. Life justifies living. Bravo. Only, I'm thinking about someone I met last February. Richard. Richard was 44, looks 60, and had been living on the streets since he was 12. He was a junkie. To support his habit, he was a male prostitute until he got too old and ugly and diseased for that. Now he has AIDS and he was dying hard. He came by the church looking for prayer, money, food, someone to talk to, odd jobs to do. I helped him out a little. The last time I saw Richard was on a gray, rainy day in winter. I bought him a bus ticket and put him on the bus. He was going to his mother's home in Calgary. He hadn't spoken with her in almost 15 years, but he was hoping he could go home to die. Richard and I sat in my car waiting for the bus. The rain drummed heavy on the hood and made the windshield opaque, and inside the car the window steamed up with our breath. Richard was weeping, weeping and shaking. Almost incoherent, he sputtered, I wish I had never been born. My whole life has been a mistake. My whole life has been misery. I'm thinking about Richard, and I'm thinking about Ernie. Ernie was a man on the rise. While he was still in his 20s, he already was vice president of a thriving national business. He was tough-minded, hard-driving, prodigiously skilled, hugely ambitious, He was a superb athlete, a natural at any sport. He had a beautiful wife. They were unable to have children of their own, so they adopted four of them, three from Africa, one from Mexico. On the day the fourth adoption became final, Ernie got the results back from some medical tests he had undergone to account for some of the dizziness, blurring of eyesight, tingling and numbing in his hands. The test came back with stunning news. Ernie had multiple sclerosis. Two months ago, I sat with Ernie. One of his children is selling drugs in Vancouver and is wanted by the police. Another is in reform school in Oregon, and if he steps out of line even once, he goes to jail. Ernie is now in his early 40s. His once powerful and agile body is twisted, rigid, spasmodic, raw-boned. His speech is also shattered when he talks, and it takes me at least three tries to understand the simplest utterance. It takes him half an hour to eat half a sandwich, and after every bite, he nearly chokes. Yes, I'm thinking about Richard, and I'm thinking about Ernie. And I have one question about your philosophy. How exactly do I explain to them that life justifies living? The young philosophy student had no response. He said he'd have to think about it and get back to me. I gave him my address and asked him to write me when he came up with something. I never heard from him. Because life does not justify living. Eternity does. I think this is a fascinating story, a fascinating conversation, a fascinating train of thought to get us thinking about this need to look to God and to look to Jesus to find meaning, not just for psychological reasons, But Ecclesiastes will will make the argument that this is a logical, philosophical necessity for us in our quest as human beings. Jesus, when he comes, he makes this abundantly clear. Um, If you look on the screen, Jesus, when he comes, he actually compares himself 
to Solomon and the wisdom literature, the, the people behind the book of Ecclesiastes. And he says, one greater than Solomon is here. And then Jesus, in his death and resurrection, it tells us clearly that the confusion and brokenness and cynicism of the world is something he actually solves. And so looking to God and looking to Jesus is going to be a necessary part of our journey. Where are you right now in being open to that? Maybe you've opened yourself to Jesus already to find some meaning, to understand your life. But maybe there's those, still those parts of your life that you haven't quite surrendered yet or opened yourself to. You've been holding on to it for different reasons. It doesn't seem like Jesus would have anything to say, perhaps. Or maybe you tried giving Jesus a chance, and he disappointed you, and you're like, nah, I'm, I think I'm better off on my own. Or maybe you haven't experienced surrendering your life to Jesus and having him help you find meaning. Maybe you've been around people that have done that, but you yourself haven't quite done that yet. Is there an invitation that God is giving you here today? Or maybe as you think about this series and what we're processing, you realize, you know what, no, I have been finding meaning, but God has brought to mind someone in our city, someone in your neighborhood, someone in your network that you're walking with, that you love, that's looking for meaning. And God has brought them to mind this morning, and you're like, wow, maybe I need to dive into their real-life situation more. Maybe I need to sit with them in their cynicism. Maybe I need to really understand, like, this person is taking me to, to, to just be with them and begin to graciously, patiently, wisely point them to what life above the sun looks like, not just life under the sun. Well, can you join me in a final word of prayer here this morning? God, we are thankful for the space to pause, reflect, and engage with you and your scriptures. We're thankful for the ability to be open and honest with you and others. We're thankful for these scriptures that encourage us towards that end. God, for some of us in this room this morning, we, we really feel the meaninglessness that this author has expressed. His, his writing expresses our hearts. We, we feel like, God, why is it that I just feel like this is such a waste of time or this is going in circles? Why does this not seem to make sense? Why is this so monotonous? God, we ask you to guide us, to lead us. If you truly are the source of meaning, if you truly have a way about leading and directing our lives where we can find something beyond ourselves, we need you to show up. We need you to do it. We need you to lead us. And so God, would you help us to look to you, but would you show up in ways that we can't even imagine as well? lead us through. Thank you for this time. Thank you for what you're doing. And would you be with us today and throughout the rest of this week? It's in Jesus we ask these things. Amen. Amen.
Thanks again for joining us for today's conversation. For more information about Ethnos New Brunswick, please visit us at ethnosmb.com.